Hello and welcome to Empire Sports Talk. I am your host, Roman Gennaro. We have another very special interview to get you to, but before that, let's take a look at what's happening around the league. March Madness is in full effect still, as the Elite Eight is set and not a single one seed remains. This will be the third time in tournament history that there was a Final Four without featuring a single one seed, as as Purdue, Kansas, Houston, and Alabama have all been bounced before the Elite Eight. I take a look at this and it begs the question, with with the rise of name, image, and likeness deals in college sports, have we seen the end of the Cinderella in the NCAA tournament? Because Fairleigh Dickinson matched up well with Purdue, and San Diego State handled Alabama. Houston got crushed by Miami. Princeton made the Sweet 16 while barely breaking a sweat. FAU is in the Elite Eight for the first time in program history. Creighton, as a sixth seed, is in. Before name, image, and likeness, or NIL, players had to go to Duke, to North Carolina, to Houston, to Kansas, Kentucky, to get the exposure, to get the coaching, to get, to get everything they felt they needed to, to get to the next level. Same with college football. Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson dominated for years. And now, as, as we look in college football, with the playoff expanding from four teams to 12 teams, if that had happened this year, we would have seen Tulane make the playoff field. And now you look at March Madness, where it seems harder and harder to, to, to make your bracket because upsets were prevalent in this tournament. And I hesitate to call them upsets at this point because I think we're seeing the end of the true Cinderella team, the end of the George Mason that came out of nowhere, the end of Loyola Chicago, the end of UMBC. Because as we saw, Fairleigh Dickinson became the second 16 seed ever to, to upset a one, and Princeton as a 15 got all the way to the Sweet 16. I think we're seeing the end of the true Cinderella because the NIL deals have evened the playing field. Now players can go wherever they want to play. They, they felt before like they had to go to Kentucky and they'd end up sitting on the bench. And now they can go to FAU, Miami, Memphis. They can, they can accept that Ivy League spot because Ivy League teams are not pushovers. They can go to Kansas State. They can stay home. They, they can look for that starting spot, not necessarily that star team, because they because they can still get noticed and they can still they can now make the money that they need to make for their families or whatever the reason be, so I think as this tournament concludes and as next year winds up in in uh, in the tournament, it'll be harder and harder to make a, a decent bracket. It'll be harder and harder to to pick those top seeds because the top seeds don't have the advantage that they used to. It's no longer one seeds versus everybody else. The whole field is in play, more so than it's ever been in college sports. There's still no deal for Aaron Rodgers to the Jets, as the Packers believe the Jets are lowballing them on compensation for Aaron Rodgers, as that's the only holdup uh, before the trade can be completed, and the Packers believe they're not getting enough from the Jets for Aaron Rodgers. So as of now, Aaron Rodgers is still a Packer, and the longer this goes, there's speculation that this deal won't work out at all. And if it, if the deal doesn't work out at all, because Aaron Rodgers has already said that he plans to play for the Jets, 
will he retire if the trade falls apart? Because he said he went into his darkness retreat 90% retired and came out wanting to play for the Jets. If that deal doesn't happen, does Aaron Rodgers retire a Packer? Time will tell. What is happening with the Dallas Mavericks? Since trading for Kyrie Irving to pair with superstar Luka Doncic, the Mavericks are under 500. Because if the season ended today, they would be out of the play-in and not not in postseason basketball at all. I'm starting to wonder, is it Luka? Is it Kyrie? Or is it Dallas Mavericks ownership? Because let's take a step back here. Dallas has had a a superstar centerpiece for 25 straight years. They drafted Dirk Nowitzki in 1998. He stayed with them every year of his career. And then he overlapped for one year with Luka Doncic. So for every year since 1998, Dallas has had that superstar centerpiece. And on multiple occasions, that superstar centerpiece has played alongside another all-star. For Dirk Nowitzki, it, it, it was Steve Nash for a period of time. It was Jason Kidd. For Luka, it's now Kyrie Irving. And in 25 years, Dallas has made several playoff appearances, but they only made it to two finals, and they only won one of those. So is it the superstar? Or is it the ownership? Is it the GM? Is it the coaches that that can't figure out how to build a winning team? Because if you look at teams that actually win the championship... It's not just one or two players. It's 12 to 15 guys playing their role. Look at the team that won the championship for the Dallas Mavericks in 2011. Dirk Nowitzki, J.J. Barea, Corey Brewer, Karan Butler, Tyson Chandler, Jason Kidd, Jan Mahimi, Sean Marion, Deshaun Stevenson, Jason Terry, Pacers Stoyakovitz. This was an entire roster built to win. And that is the only time in the 25 years that Dallas has had a superstar, that they've gotten it done. They made it to the finals in 2006, but they lost to Dwayne Wade, Shaquille O'Neal, and the Miami Heat. So in 25 years of the Dallas Mavericks having a superstar, from Dirk Nowitzki to Luka Doncic, they've, had, they've made it successfully to the playoffs, but they haven't made it that far. When you look at their roster now, their third best player probably is Tim Hardaway Jr. It was probably supposed to be Christian Wood, but he probably hasn't played up to what they expected they were getting when they traded for him from the Rockets. I look at the Dallas Mavericks and I see an inability to be to build a complete team that can go far in the playoffs with the exception of the two finals appearances and one finals victory. So what's wrong in Dallas? I don't think it's Luka. I don't think it's Kyrie. I think bigger changes need to be made. But we have a very special interview today. I sat down a few days ago with professional basketball player in Belgrade, Serbia, Bo Beach for FMP Meridian. And we talked about his journey from small-time college basketball to the NBA Summer League to overseas. And what a journey it's been for Bo. And... We talked about the sports world, and we talked about a lot of coincidences, and we realized the sports world is a lot smaller than we thought. Check it out right here. All right, this is Empire Sports Talk with Roman Gennaro. Thank you so much to Bo Beach for joining the podcast today. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me to Empire Sports Pod, and, uh, you know, hopefully you all enjoy it. 
And we have Bo on today as Bo is currently playing professional basketball in Belgrade, Serbia. And he's he's been a well-traveled uh, veteran to this point in his career. So, Bo, let's let's jump right in. To start off, let's uh, walk us through your basketball journey to this point. Yeah, so, um, you know, like you mentioned, I'm playing professionally now, but uh, that was always the goal. That was always the dream to be a professional basketball player since I was probably five, six years old, you know. Um, my dad was my high school coach. Um, but, you know, when I was obviously that young, he was coaching high school basketball. So I pretty much grew up in the gym. I would go to practice with him all the time. I'd obviously go to a bunch of games, you know, whenever my mom would let me um, because it was too late on a school night sometimes to go to a game. But, yeah, pretty much from about five years old up until now I'm 29, you know, I've been in the basketball gym pretty much every day for a lot of those, a lot of those days in my life. So basketball is definitely a family thing for us beaches. And um, that's kind of where it started, you know, just my dad being the coach, it kind of gave me the opportunity to be in the gym and fall in love with the game. And, you know, up until high school, um, you know, my dad taught me everything I knew about basketball, shooting, dribbling, passing, et cetera. So um yeah he ended up I was lucky enough to play for my dad in high school at Ponte Vedra High School so that was a really unique experience playing for your dad some people say they hate it but for me I absolutely loved it I thought it was awesome my dad and I like you know he's my best friend really I mean we talk about everything on the court off the court so to me it was great having my dad as a coach but I mean there was a few few uh, car rides home you know after a bad game where you know you try to get all the way to the side of the window get as far away as you can but for sure I mean to me that's just part of what it is you know I wasn't too worried about it I loved it um and you know we had a good high school career I thought my dad and I uh when I was eight years old he won the state championship for the first time as a head coach and I was there at the game and I remember him winning the game and it was just like man I want to play for my dad and win a state championship with my dad um unfortunately I was not nearly good enough to provide that experience but we did have a chance to win some games we won the district championship which is not a huge accomplishment for but for him and I it felt like a huge accomplishment just you know to celebrate that moment together father and son knowing that after that championship that was my senior year that um I would be going to the University of North Florida to continue playing basketball you know I was I had been recruited by probably 20 different schools at the division one level. Um, so I had a good little variety of, you know, low major schools all, all throughout the country. And um, I never thought I would go to UNF because I had gone to UNF to watch them play JU a few times. And I was like, Oh, like, it's cool. But like, I'm never going to stay this close to home. Like I grew up in Ponte Vedra. So it was a 20 minute car ride to get to UNF arena. I was like, I'll never go this close to home. So UNF was almost like my, I'll see the school. I'll listen to them, but I don't think I'm actually going to go there. Um, but my dad and my mom, they went on every visit with me um, just to kind of keep it short. And at the end of it, we all sat down and we're like the best school for me you know, personally and academically, and then mixing in the basketball and my future goals of, you know, like I said earlier, becoming a pro 
and not just a pro was going to the NBA. Um, we thought that UNF gave me the best chance to achieve all those goals. So that was kind of a full circle moment of, I don't want to go to UNF. Actually, you know what? I, I really want to go to UNF. That's the best place for me. And it was the best decision of my life to go to UNF. So that's kind of the journey. That's excellent. Up through college, at least. And we'll touch on the rest of your journey in a minute, but uh, yeah. while we're while we're kind of standing in 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 the college area, I want to give mm -hmm. our listeners kind of a kind of a rundown of who you were as a player. So, okay. man, you you played? Did you play all four years at, at at UNF? Right, you played four years. Yep, yep, four okay. years. So, so in that time, Bo Beach finished uh, second all time in scoring third all-time in field goals made you're you're tied first all-time in three-pointers made um you're you're third all-time in rebounds first all-time in steals and second all-time in games played games started and minutes wow <laughs> so so bo beach is no slouch ladies and gentlemen here's well, a fun yeah. fact can you guess this shouldn't be too hard in uh. in scoring Games played, games started, and minutes. Can you guess who you're second to? It's all the same person. Yeah, yeah, I can guess. The the legend, the GOAT himself, the Dallas Moore. Your teammate, Dallas Moore, yep. who, who, who I believe himself is playing internationally now. He sure is. He's in Russia now. Didn't playing. I just see that he won the, the, the All-Star Game three-point contest in Russia? Yes, he, he did, yeah. He, didn't he, that he just had the Steph Curry. <laughs> okay, okay. And let's see if you get this one. As I said, right. you were tied first all-time in three-pointers made. Do you know who you're tied with? I sure do. And the reason I know is because he gives me a hard time about it every summer when we play golf together. And that's Parker Smith because he says he did it in three years. PS3, as he's known around UNF. PS3. Exactly. The original, the original, the inventor of Birds of Trey, PS3, Parker Smith. And I got to see Parker a little bit. Did you overlap with Parker or or was he the year? Yeah. Okay. I got one season with Parker, which I think is, I can attribute a lot of my success, I think, at UNF to Parker. And because of Parker, he was a great mentor, teacher to me. And he really, it was someone I looked up to, you know. Parker was the best player at UNF at the time. And I was like, hey, you know, every player wants to be the best player at the school they go to. So, I was definitely looking up to him and maybe he didn't like it so much because I was that freshman kind of following him around too much, but Parker definitely helped me out a lot. So I appreciate everything he did for me and we're still great friends today. So I think it's safe to say, Bo, that you are one of the best players to ever come through the University of North Florida and the <laughs> University of North Florida is very glad that you chose to stay home instead of going to some of those other uh, low major schools. Right. Well, I appreciate it. That's a lot of high praise. You know, I'm just happy to be a part of the team and have the opportunity to be considered with those other greats so i'll take it and i'm honored speaking of uh since we're in since, since we're talking about unf you had you had four great years there uh what is what is your favorite college memory from from playing Ooh. for unf roman i think you're gonna know this is a pretty easy one right here oh yeah uh 2015 uh at home at unf arena on espn playing for the A-Sun Championship game, eventually winning the A-Sun Championship and punching our ticket to the big dance, the tournament for the first time in school history. Um, the, I mean, I guess 
this is the this is the funny part about this story. Obviously, the whole day, right? The most memorable day, most memorable game, most memorable everything. I don't remember anything from the game. I don't remember people storming the court. I don't remember taking pictures with people. I don't remember a darn thing about the day other than UNF won and went to the tournament. It was almost I had I, too much adrenaline. I remember it. Too much craziness. Sure. I, I think I blacked out, you know, blacked for out sure. from adrenaline for like four hours, and I just don't know what happened. So it's a, uh, it's kind of weird to say my most memorable day is probably a day that I don't have really any memory of other than we won. I just know we won. I mean, <laughs> that's that's, <about> that's, <laughs> that's the important part. And I have a I have a friend that was at that game and because I was not lucky enough to be in attendance of that game but I had a friend that was at that game and he and he turned on his camera his his video as he stormed the court and when he got to mid-court in in that crowd he drops his phone and it and and it was recording the whole time and so we saw everything you know (laughs) that 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 he drops his phone while on record so you just see this mass confusion from, from ground level and it was so funny Oh, um, I can only that. That's the definition of a mosh pit right there. Goodness gracious. And, 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 he, and he's got it on camera. He's got it on camera. So you See, that's a memorable moment right there. Exactly. So you sauntered beautifully into my next question. In 2015, you won the ASUN championship and, and in a one bid conference, you got the right to represent the, the ASUN in the 2015 NCAA tournament. Yep. It was a short ride, but I'm sure it was a memorable one. So what is your favorite memory from that whole NCAA tournament experience? You know, like you said, it was short. Um, being in the playing game, we felt like we had a, a great opportunity to know to say that we won a NCAA tournament game. You know, not necessarily one, but you know, it was a pride thing to be like, hey, look, we played two NCAA tournament games, possibly if we can win this first one, and then we would have went to play the eventual national champions. Duke so it's like all right it's kind of a tall task but just the trip in itself is one of those things where you see how many people were supporting UNF and supporting the team and just the genuine happiness people had for us players and and coaches and just everyone that was around and involved in the team just the support because Obviously, I had seen the support at our games. Everyone coming to the games, you know, thousands of people, and you really feel it. But then you go to a different city, state, gym, and there's, you know, you see the local reporters, you see the Spinnaker person there, and you're like, wow, they're still, like, interested in what's going on with us. Like, we're kind of, you know, we're affecting people's lives, like, in the UNF community. And it just, that's what really stuck out to me was, just how influential that was for the school, because I didn't really know how it would affect us in the moment. It was just always a goal. And you don't think about the outcome once you achieve the goal. You just think, I want to achieve the goal. So to have that support up in Dayton in the first four game was just, it was so awesome, man. Like, it really made you feel like this basketball thing is so much bigger than basketball. And that was really, I think, the first time I'd ever experienced that. Because, you know, I was kind of in my bubble in high school and going to UNF, we didn't have a track record of NCAA tournaments and success like that. So for it to blow up like it did, it just made it feel just wow. 
like we really did something that people are going to remember and want to talk about like you and I are like, this is something that's meaningful. And it was, I mean, that's one thing I'll never forget because of that, but to be more of like a activity or an experience thing at the tournament, the best part was we got to fly on a private plane uh, up to Dayton. So Beautiful. that was pretty awesome. You know, you go to the tarmac at the airport you get off the bus. There's, it's like TSA pre-check, but like even more like, oh yeah, you're good. Just get on the plane. You're good. Get on the plane. There's food waiting for you, and it's this huge plane, and there's like forty of you on the plane, so everyone has their own row to sleep in, and direct flight right to the city. And it's like, wow, this is. We can get used to this, guys. We need to win some more games for a small, <laughs> for a small school like UNF in a one bid conference. For a lot of those guys, I'm sure it was like the first time you felt like a big deal, right? 100 percent, exactly and it tied into like i said before just like who was there supporting us and whatnot it made it feel like we were a big deal and we didn't really expect that or want that to be the the case you know it was more of just oh we did what we wanted to do and now all these people you can tell they wanted us to do the same thing and we're cheering for us and rooting for the same outcome so that's when it was like wow this is this is a big deal man this is cool yeah. In all that confusion of, uh, of 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 being interviewed by reporters and the spinnaker, do you remember a certain person interviewing you? It's, it's going to sound really stuck up. Uh, not necessarily. I, I know. I'm sorry. I don't. It, 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 it was going to sound That's, bad. Yeah, but it, it was me. It was me. It sounds bad, Roman, because <laughs> that that weekend that we won the tournament and the week of, and then at Dayton, Every day, Coach Driscoll, Dallas, me, uh, Demarcus Daniels, or Chris Davenport, we were on a, a different TV show or a different radio host every day. And I was like, I don't understand. For sure, man. It, I, I'm really sorry. I feel like no, no, you're good. You're good. I'm stuck I'm, up person right now. Roman. I'm just but messing hey, with you, man. I'm just messing with no, you. It's fair, but that was that was one of the reasons I didn't understand the gravity of what we had done until sure. that week and that trip and I was like wow this is this is really different than I thought it was going to be because it's UNF I was thought it's UNF it's not that's not how it is for a school like us right and I'm sorry Roman and and you to, have to this, bring up the transcripts I did uh to this day <laughs> it's still the only trip to the, to the tournament for UNF um yeah. and and speaking of of the tournament as as a one bid conference as the Atlantic Sun is, were you aware of it at the time or 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 have you thought about it now? Because a few years prior to to you guys going at as a 16 play in team, Florida Gulf Coast brought brought, brought Dunk yeah. City into the conversation. And then this year as a as a 15 and then this year, Kennesaw State nearly took down. Who was that yesterday? Uh, Xavier. Xavier as a 14. Mm -hmm. So do you think. Or, or or have you thought about it since? Was there a little bit of, let's call it, intrigue as to why a team like Gulf Coast got a 15 and mm -hmm. and and Kennesaw got a 14 and 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 you guys had to had to earn your way in as a yeah. 16? You know, it's funny you mentioned that it at the time when we saw the seating, I don't want to say we were disappointed. Um, but I thought that we would have been higher i thought we would have gotten the 15 seed like florida gulf coast had that season but um i mean 
we had a few bad losses in there, so I get it. Even though we did beat Purdue, who was, I think, an eight or a nine seed that year in the tournament. So you kind of look at our resume and it says, look, you know, we can beat a middle-of-the-pack team in the tournament. So, yeah, I would say we were a little disappointed because we thought we'd be higher. But at the same time, we also saw the opportunity, like I mentioned earlier, to say, look, we have a chance to play maybe two NCAA tournament games at least. But you know what I mean? win the first game and then you get another chance to play a game. So um, it wasn't something that was stuck on our mind that much. I think now that, you know, seven, eight years removed from it, it's something that me and Demarcus Daniels uh, joke about a lot. It's something you think about. Like, dude, we should have been a 12 seed. We were so good that year. We should have been a 12. Like, you know, we say ridiculous things. I mean, that's, that's fair. I think, 12 is a bit of a reach because I was trying to explain seeding to to someone the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, and 12 is a 13, 12, 13 is about as high as you can get. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Uh, or, or it's about, it, it's about the lowest that someone who didn't win a. Other a, tournament. A, can get in. A, a, another tournament from a major conference can be so that, yeah. so, so that 13 to, to 16 is kind of where all the all the smaller schools, as it were, yeah. sit. And so, but but you're right, and I remember f- feeling this way too that that at the time, Florida Gulf Coast kind of set that precedent. Like, okay, we should be a 15. Exactly, I agree. And and so so, I definitely believe that you guys were within your right to feel a little bit uh, pushed to the side, and especially now with with Kennesaw State as a 14 taking Xavier mm. to the brink um yep. yesterday um I think it's a fair question to be like hey did you guys feel like you kind of got the short yeah, no, the stick having to play Robert Morris and losing in 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 such a hard-fought game yeah um I mean it, you can look back and debate it a lot and I, I agree with your point is we had the chance to be there and be a 15 because the conference too if you remember also had Mercer beat Duke the year after Dunk City and Mercer Correct. was a 14 seed. Correct. Now, yeah. both of their records were a little better than ours, two or three more wins. Maybe that's the difference. I don't know. But it's, I thought, you know, we were close enough to those two teams level wise. We had actually beaten Mercer twice that year, the year they beat Duke. And then the year Dunk City happened, they had lost to Mercer the next year. And then the year after that was our season and we won and we beat them twice mm-hmm. and they had a lot of those same players. So it was like, Hey, look, we're not, we're not chopped liver either, but you know, sometimes you get the short end of the stick, but that Robert Morris game you mentioned, I think we let that one get away. We, we should have had the win. We didn't have a very clean second half to say the least. Fun fact about that dunk city team, their, their point guard is a high school mm-hmm. classmate of mine. Oh, at Winter Park, you and Comer. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah, we were in the same year. Nice. So we. You now we, he's coaching at Stetson. Exactly. He's doing great. I'm. I'm trying to get him on the pod as well. But uh, and obviously Austin Rivers was also a high school teammate. Yeah, so, he was there so, too. So, yeah. so he went from nationally televised with Austin Rivers to nationally yeah. televised with Dunk City. He was a household name there for pretty much four or five years straight. Everyone and, knew Brett Comer. And it was crazy for, for our, our high school to be like, that's, I mean, we obviously by that time, Austin was, was, yeah, he was so had, big, had gone to Duke and gone to the NBA, but like 
for somebody else on that team to make some noise. It was like, That's oh my gosh, big. you know. And, and from like that area too, you know, I can't, I don't know if Winter Parks ever had that level of success basketball wise. Not before. unless your last name is Rivers. I don't think they have after. Not unless your last name is Rivers, because I know Spencer Austin's mm-hmm. Austin's younger brother yeah, Spencer younger brother. made a little bit of noise in in high school, but never reached the level that Austin or 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 even his oldest brother Jeremiah uh, did. That's right, Jeremiah um, Rivers too. Um, because Jeremiah played for a bit at Indiana. Yes, he did. And right. uh, so, so that family, um, actually, the Rivers family is now forever connected to the Curry family, which is kind of cool because because yeah, it is because Callie Rivers <laughs> married Seth. Yeah, um, exactly. But anyway, so yeah, so you guys went to to the twenty fifteen tournament, and that that was obviously this 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 big thing. Um, you played for four years under quite a personality and the world got a taste of it in 2015 with that interview that went viral and and he has since had had more funny interviews like he had one er earlier this year when unf played Pitt because he's from pittsburgh yeah what's something you learned from head coach matthew driscoll well i mean like you said he's a personality for sure um i've learned a ton from him on the court off the court um, how to become a man, how to handle life as a pro, how to handle life as a husband. You know, I mean, you name it, he's he's taught me something in the subject. Um, so it'd be tough to say what one specific thing he has taught me, um, because I like to think that every day there's probably a decision that I'm making that's been influenced by what Coach Driscoll has taught me. And the decision can be on the court, off the court, et cetera. He is as genuine a guy as it gets. He doesn't mess around with words. He lets you know exactly how it is, how it's perceived, how it's going, and what's going to happen. Um, so I I respect that. I, I mean, sometimes it wasn't the best film sessions with him after a game and hearing, Bo, this is everything you did last night was wrong. It's like, okay, that's not always fun to hear, um, those tough film sessions. But um, obviously – like we just mentioned winning the championship, you know, it kind of is worth it. The 20 minutes of feeling down on yourself and bad about yourself. But then coach Driscoll also being like, Hey, look, tomorrow you can fix it all and just do all those things. Right. And we'll never talk about it again. And that's one of those things where it's, I guess the number one thing that I really learned and that I definitely use daily, mainly for basketball is just do the next right thing. Right. So whatever it may be, just do the next right thing. I know they got words and banners up all over the locker room and in the facilities at UNF Arena of do the next right thing. And it sounds cliche because I'm sure it probably sounds like it is. But if you can, at least for me, I guess I bought into it. I don't, I mean, it just resonated with me. I'm not sure why or how, but it did. And just knowing that, hey, one mistake doesn't lead to two, you're probably going to have a good day. And that's, that's the goal every day. And I think that's probably the main biggest thing I learned from coach Driscoll. That, that fits right into a kind of a mantra that I try to hold. Um, mm. be, being such a baseball fan as I am. Um, and there being so many games in a baseball season and then yep. playing every single day, sometimes it's not going to go your way. Sometimes you're going to, no. you're, 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 you're going to lose more games than you're going to win. But one of the reasons that I love baseball and one of the reasons I love sports is that especially during tournament time in basketball, 
is that anybody can beat anybody on any given day. And yep. so, and, and so one of the one of the things that I kind of try to live by is today, as it relates to baseball, like any day could be the day that you start a long winning streak and yeah. not, not just in sports, but in life. So, so I try to, I try to live by that, that mantra of today's a good day to go one to know. It's great. Great mantra. So, so, so that seems like it fits right in with coach Driscoll. Do you remember that viral interview? You remember what ballers, he said? Ballers, dudes are dudes. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. And dudes, and ballers, ballers make, make plays, plays. Dudes are dudes. Yep. Oh, that that <laughs> that still gets played. That, oh, it's, it's hilarious. I mean, it, it's been eight years and it still gets played on 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 tournament telecasts. It's just what it it. I know everyone heard what Coach said and they're like, "Did he really say that?" Because I hear it no, he still. And we joke about it in like our UNF group chats. And it's like, yeah, you know, ballers are ballers, man. Dudes are dudes. It's just, just what happens. It's just life. Like he said it so casually. He had never said that before ever to anyone. Like his, he was just, he was in the zone. You know what I mean? He was, whatever came to his head was coming out of his mouth and there, there was no stopping him. The, the coach interviews are definitely one of the unsung highlights of, of the tournament every year. Definitely. Like I, I think Fairley Dickinson's coach had a funny interview yes. last night. He he was like, oh, sure man, did. man, what the heck? Um, but the okay. film I watch for Purdue, the more I think we can beat him. Right. Whoa, oh, all right. Oh, there man, okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, so we've spent a lot of time talking about UNF, and then you you spent some time after UNF in, in the – you went to the Summer League for the NBA, yep. and then you went to the D League. Yep. And, and then you kind of transitioned – to international ball you've played in germany and yeah. greece and serbia and obviously you know the g league was was in different cities and and i i yeah. believe i believe at that time the summer league was still in vegas so yep you have in in your eight nine years as a pro uh seven years have have been around have have yeah. have, have have traveled quite a bit what's what's a good travel story you have from all that time that you've spent so yeah I've, I've been to quite a few places in the world to play basketball and i'm not mad about it that's for sure but um oh man there's a few good stories i'll start in the g league i think i got one for basically every continent i've been <laughs> to so in the g league it was my second year and i was in erie pennsylvania and for those that don't know about erie pennsylvania it is on Lake Erie, as far north in Pennsylvania as you can get. You're like almost up into New York border. Across the lake is Toronto. So that, like that's how far north you are. And it snows like there's no tomorrow there. I mean, all winter long is only snow. And there's these things that happen there that are called snow effects or lake effects. I think it was lake effects. And being from Florida, like we have no idea how to handle snow, you and I, Roman. So it's like, for sure, I hear, hey, we have a, a lake effect coming in overnight. I'm like, all right, whatever. Like, I don't even know what that means. So I'm in you Jacksonville. Wake up, it's in a whole new world. Exactly. But to preface that, I'm in Jacksonville. I had, um, I was actually coming back from a knee injury and I was waiting to fly back to Erie, Pennsylvania with the team. So I was just like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm ready. Knees all good. Just tell me when to just book the flight and come up. And they're like, Oh, well actually there's a lake effect 
coming in. So we'll let you know when the runway is clear so you can fly in. I'm like, okay, yeah, no problem. And maybe the flight will be delayed. No big deal. Well, the lake effect happens. There's 52 inches of snow over like 30 hours in, in Erie, Pennsylvania. So because there was so much wow. snow in such a short amount of time, they couldn't even get in Erie. It's a really small city. They couldn't even get the like snow plows out from where they were because they had been built up with almost five feet of snow around them. So no one could get to the snow plows to clear the snow plows to clear the roads. So I was stuck in Jacksonville for like an extra 10 days waiting for the snow to melt so that they could shovel everything so that flights could come into Erie. So I was in Jacksonville for 10 extra days just waiting to go back to Erie and be like, all right, well, I don't know what to do. I'm just waiting here. And the team's like, yeah, we can't even get to practice. We're not doing anything. Like, we'll let you know when we get a flight and all this stuff. So they flew me up to Erie 10 days later than supposed to be. It was nuts. I'm sure, I'm sure having played now in Germany and Serbia that a lake effect yeah. is like no big deal, right? That's the thing. Now that I've been in Europe, I've played in Germany, Poland, and Serbia. So I've seen snow at all three places, had to deal with it. Um, I wouldn't say I'm very good at handling snow personally, but I know what to do now. But I'm not happy about it. <laughs> That's for sure. That's the thing. Like you could be around something your entire life, unless you're like from Minnesota or 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 the yeah. lake or 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 the Lake Erie area. <laughs> you could be around something your whole life and still not be good at it. Like in Florida, yeah. Obviously, there's a lot of rain. And yet yes. Florida drivers are still bad at driving in the rain. Like every day on 95, there's an accident because of the rain every day. Exactly. So you've played at a lot of different levels. You've played mm -hmm. um, summer league, G league, internationally yeah. and, and college ball on a big stage for, for those that don't know, because I admittedly don't know a lot about international ball. What would you say the main difference is between something like like the G League, mm -hmm. college, and international basketball. What what yeah. what would you say fundamentally are are the differences? Just on this on the surface level, just the physicality of each level, uh it goes up a lot and it goes up fast. Um if you think about it, in high school you play against kids that are about four years older than you, no older, right? Right. College, same thing, about four years older than you. But once you turn professional, you could, could play anybody. against someone. Yeah, it could be anyone. You can be 22 like I was as a rookie. And I wouldn't say my body at 22 was fully developed. You know, I've, I've probably put on probably about 10 to 15, maybe 20 pounds of muscle since I graduated college. So... If you look at it like that, I'm 29 now, and it took me seven years, six, seven years to put on 20 more pounds of muscle. So as a 22-year-old playing against a 29-year-old, that's a big difference. And the experience factor of playing way more years, seeing a lot of different situations, it's, I mean, the physicality is different. I mean, there's a lot more that goes into it, and your body gets a lot more fatigued a lot more tired, 
a lot more sore, especially after games, after practice, because you're not used to it. So the biggest difference from America to Europe is the physicality. But even just from level to level, the physicality is, yeah, that's the big adjustment, especially for, you know, someone like me. I'm not like a big guy. I mean, I'm I'm six eight, but I mean, I'm only like two hundred. That's pretty big, relatively uh, for basketball. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. No. Exactly. I mean, I'm I'm like six eight, two twenty, two twenty five. You know, fluctuate in there, but. I mean, there's plenty of six eight, six nine, two fifty guys that I'm playing against, and it's like, well, this guy is way bigger than me, right? So his level of physicality is a notch above mine, even. So, you know, that would lead to the next biggest difference is just like knowledge of the game at each level, because, like I said, you're fourteen to eighteen in high school, you're kind of learning the game still, eighteen to twenty two. It's a little more in depth, but it's still not that highest level yet. And then you turn professional and instantly you're playing with like for me, I went to Brooklyn Nets training camp at 22 years old, thinking I knew everything there was about basketball. And on day one, I'm sitting in the locker room next to Randy Foy, who at the time I think was 30 or 31, maybe 32. And that's a 10 year age gap right there. And that's 10 years of him playing in the NBA. Right. And it's like, I know nothing about basketball. Right. And I have to play against this guy today. Like, I'm screwed. <laughs> Basically, was the mentality of like, wow, this is a whole nother level of how people think and process the game, play by play. Heck, even dribble by dribble, they're thinking two, three moves ahead of what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, what's going to be the outcome. So physicality and then knowledge. One A and one B and the difference for sure. One thing that I've noticed, and and you can you can course correct and kind of tell me where where the game lies in Europe between these two things is is the NBA <laughs> is is so focused on the three pointer and 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 because of players like Steph Curry, and there's there's less defense because they're it's so offensive focused, and then you watch. Yeah you watch college basketball around this time of year and they still play a lot of defense. It's still very, it's still very physically um, a defensive game, get in their face, cut them off, drive to the basket. So, 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 so there's a pretty wide gap right now between where college basketball is and where the NBA is as far as, Mm -hmm. as far as physicality, as far as defense, as far as all that stuff, where do you think the international game fits into that? So international is definitely the middle ground. And the reason I say that is because the skill level here in the international game is really, really, really high. Like I can't stress how skilled everyone in Europe is. As an American, we don't watch European games, so we don't really see it every day like we see the NBA. So we know how skilled the NBA is. But every team out here in Europe has someone that was – one step away from making the NBA or was on an NBA roster or went to training camp or was like every team has that level player on their team. So yeah, maybe it was size or athleticism or strength that they couldn't get to the NBA, but they come into Europe and it's, they're so skilled, the players. And I guess the difference is the athleticism. The NBA has the top level athletes. There's no denying it. And in Europe, you don't see as many of those top-level athletes. So because of that, 
you know, it's kind of an in-between of the end, the college level where you see defense is super prevalent. You see a game like fairly Dickinson and Purdue 58 to 63. Like you don't get games like that in Europe. The games are in the eighties. The games are in the nineties. Um, you know, it's not 130 like the NBA, but that's for some other reasons, but it's like the skill level is, you know, people are scoring at a high level. So it's got, able to score. it's got much more of an eighties, nineties NBA vibe. You would say then, you know, not even like, you know, like bird and magic, they played fast and fast paced and they scored like 90 to hundred points. It's like that era is kind of how the style is. Everyone's yeah. really smart. Everyone has the fundamentals down perfectly. Just the pace, you know, no one can play at the pace that like Giannis plays at because no one's seven foot and freakishly athletic in Europe, you know, right? For the most part, they would be in the NBA if they were. So you mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned obviously the players in, in Europe being really, really good. And then you mentioned Giannis. So yeah. obviously, you know, <laughs> back, back in the day, in uh, in the 80s and 90s the 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 international basketball i should say has always had a a international footprint from from dikembe mutombo and tony kukoc in the 90s to now obviously some of the best players in the nba are luka Doncic, uh Mm -hmm. nikola Jokic, Giannis, Mm -hmm. and these these international players so so obviously the international scene is is getting more attention now but but how how much more do you think it's grown even still when you see nba talent like lamelo ball and rj hampton choosing to play overseas for a year instead of go, yeah. in, instead of going to the ncaa or yeah. or you know players all stars like Dwight Howard playing overseas or yeah. or Carmelo Anthony mulling the decision to play overseas. How yeah. much bigger has the international scene gotten from It's a great question. It's a great question. Yeah. And the answer is it's blown up. I mean, I think most people in America would say even the NBA has become a bigger, more popular game in the last 20 years. And the international game is the same way there's new teams are being formed daily, you know, out here for the next season and upcoming because people realize there's so many kids playing basketball now because they, you look every corner of the world has an NBA basketball superstar in it that kids can look up to and try to be. And there's what, like 8 billion people in the world. So like there's so many people that want to aspire to be a basketball player and like you mentioned, you have kids in China like getting to watch former NBA players play. And like, they're like, wow, I remember Carmelo Anthony. Like, he was so good for the Nuggets and the Knicks and all that stuff. And they're like, I want to be like him. So you have that. You have in our, I mean, I'm in Serbia now. Nikola Jokic is, you know, the guy. He might as well be God himself out here. You know what I mean? But yeah. everyone wants to be the next Jokic. So it's just, the game is so good here. No one can be. I think people are starting to see that now with like Luca and Jokic and Giannis coming from Europe and Wembenyama, who's from France. He's about to be in the NBA. They see these guys like, whoa, these guys are really freaking good. Like, yeah, maybe playing in Europe 
it used to be maybe a stigma of, oh, that guy's not any good at basketball. He can make the NBA to go play. They probably think semi-pro ball over here. It's like, nah, there's some really good players over here. And right. it's definitely not semi-pro basketball. I can tell you that. I think it's interesting that you mentioned that's, that Jokic is like got over there. And I was going to mention it if you didn't. Yeah. Like you are in his home right now. Um, yeah. It's as as far as it's come. I'm one of the first global superstars you could argue in, sure. spor- in sports was Michael Jordan. Yes, you, know, you you'd you'd hear you know people in China coming all the way from China to see Michael, and then they went yep. to China at one point, I believe, or they went yep. to they they traveled internationally, which was one of the first times the NBA itself had mm-hmm. had gone outside the borders, and so to see. To see now that you could make an you could make a very strong argument that the three best players in the NBA today, mm-hmm. Giannis, Jokic, and Luca are are all international players. Yeah, and you could you can argue that the fourth best player, Embiid, is also international. It's from Cameroon, and and then, so, and, then, and then one of the best young players, Anthony Edwards, is from Canada. So, and that's the next thing, and then you add maybe J- Josh Giddy um australian you, yeah, you can australian. add a lot yeah, shea exactly. gilders alexandra exactly uh canadian as well Wembenyama from france coming, yeah he's about to be one of the top players in the nba you expect so i think now more people in the nba see these international stars and realize hey these european players they come from nowhere yes for the most part but there's talent here and all these guys need is a shot and once they have their shot it shows how good a lot of these leagues and countries are at developing their talent since this boom you could argue there's been a boom in, in international talent in the last mm-hmm. 10 years or so and for much of that time for the last five years six years you've played internationally have yeah. have you have you seen a jump in attendance at, at, at international games since since this has happened in the nba maybe maybe there's americans that come overseas mm-hmm. Yeah, so the uh, the first two years I was in Germany, I think we sold out every single home game we had. I don't think there was one. I I, I know the first season, guaranteed sold out 30 home games. Guaranteed. I know that. The second season, because of COVID, I'm not like 100% sure that we had sellouts because there was like limit restrictions and whatnot. But still, it was a sold out crowd every night. You know, there was... The gym is packed, 3,500 people every night there. Obviously, I went to Greece, and Greece was 2020, 2021 I was there. So that was still COVID era, so we had no fans at games. But Giannis won the NBA championship. So basketball was like off the charts. Anytime I turn the TV on, all they're talking about is the Greek basketball league. Who you won, sir? who lost, who played well. That's all anybody now. I didn't know the words they were saying, but I can read <laughs> the bottom because my team name's on the bottom. So I'm like, that's my team name. I know they're talking about us. So the popularity and the excitement around the game, I don't think like the fans' perspective, I think they've had the same number of fans as they had maybe 20 years ago. I think what's really boomed is the development of the talent. Um I think more people are coming to Europe because they understand there is talent here and there's a lot of good coaches that are developing that talent. So now they're coming here and seeing 
what would seem like to an American, a whole new world of players. But I think they've always kind of been doing that here in Europe. It was just on a much smaller scale than in America. Because, you know, we kind of push the youth to do things, to try to get to levels and all this kind of stuff. Here it's more of like, hey, if you make it, you make it. Good luck. Here's the resources. Do what you do. And if you don't do it, you either didn't work hard enough or you didn't have the talent. And it's kind of more of like a matter of fact way of getting the best out of a player. I have heard that the international circuit can be, can be not for everyone. It can be tough. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, so, so first of all, you have made a career of finding your way to the home countries of the biggest players in the NBA. Yeah. <laughs> NBA somehow. <laughs> Serbia. But um, you're a great inter- interview guest because you somehow managed to segue beautifully into the next question. Speaking <laughs> of Hamburg, Germany. Yeah. That what I did. I, I I did my homework on you before this. Uh, that right. was your first stop in the mm. international situation. Yes. You you had been in the in the G League. You had been in summer league, and then and then it comes time to go internationally, which as we've discussed is becoming a great option for some people. You know, I think yes. I think Tony Kukoc had it had a. Uh, quote in the 90s saying something like oh the, oh the bulls were interested but i stayed in croatia and played for a year because the money's good here too you know so so it's like yeah. so it's always been you know it's one of those things but so you're in europe for the first time in in, in hamburg and a lot of people don't know the way really that the international games work but but you win it you're you're in a league and you you win a champion and this is kind of the same thing with soccer and in my yes. little bit of research it 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 is similar in basketball you win a championship and you get promoted to a league or 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 you finish last and you get demoted so mm-hmm. you you were in hamburg and it was your first time out of america you know you yeah. you had you had done you had done the ncaa tournament you had done the 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 summer league and the g league which was which was out of jacksonville so that had already taken you out of your comfort zone yeah. Uh, but but now you're in other countries and in and in Hamburg. Did it help that your first international coach was an American? Mike one, Taylor. One thousand percent. Yes, you did very good research um, on that. So like you mentioned, that was my first time leaving America and playing international ball. And the main reason I left at that time to go to Hamburg was because of Mike Taylor um, to make it even a crazier story. Mike Taylor knows coach Driscoll because they're both Pittsburgh guys. So coaches from Pittsburgh, they all know each other. That's Mike great. Taylor. Now's what next level. Mike Taylor moves. He had coached in Germany. He had coached in the G league. He took, takes a year off. He moves to Nocatee, Florida. Yeah, yeah, get this. So he moves to Nocatee, doesn't have a coaching job there. He comes to UNF practices to see Coach Driscoll, watches our team play and practice all that stuff, follows us all. So that's 2016, 2015, 2016. Which, for people who don't know, Nocatee, Florida is right next to Jacksonville. It's 25 minutes away. Right. And not only is it 25 minutes away from Jacksonville, Coach Taylor's house is a seven-minute drive to my parents' house. 
So I don't know any of this. I played my first year in the G League. I played my second year in the G League. I realized, hey, there's more money to be made in Europe. You know, the G League thing isn't going how I expected it or wanted it to go to be able to get to the NBA. So I was like, hey, let's go to Europe. My agents call me probably two days later. And they're like, hey, you know Mike Taylor? And I was like, name sounds familiar. They're like, yeah, uh, he's coaching in Hamburg, Germany in the second division. And I was like, second division, guys, come on, man. What are you, this is stupid. I'm not going there. They're like, no, no, like, they're, they're going to bring you in, pay you more money than you would make in the G League. And I was like, well, okay, that's a good start. And they're like, as your first American, as your first job in Europe, to have an American head coach, this could be really good for you, Bo. And I was like, ah, oh, okay, yeah. No, that, that starts to make a little more sense now. Yeah. I call Coach Taylor, and the second I hear his voice, I'm like, I know exactly who this guy is. Of course yeah. I remember Mike Taylor. He's almost like Coach Driscoll, just so positive, so energetic, you know, wears his heart on his sleeve, tells you like it is. And it's to me, the second I talked to him, I said, Yeah, I'm signing. Going to Hamburg, sure. no doubt about it. And that it, Coach Taylor taught me so much about the international game that I needed to learn in such a short amount of time. He taught it all to me. Him and I still talk probably once a week. Uh, via text so yeah he he was a great coach for me he taught me a ton especially because I had no idea what I was getting myself into with like German culture how practices are how games are how the referees are how fans are I had no idea about anything so he really bring, brought me along and all the while he's the national team coach for Poland so not only is he teaching me about the German league, he's teaching me about the Polish league. He's teaching me about the international cups. He's teaching me about these other countries, other players on his team, the Polish national team played in. So I got like a master class of European basketball in two years in Hamburg. So yeah, that ended up being a really great decision and a small world coincidence that he literally is 10 minutes away from my house. And I believe and <laughs> I believe and I believe he's coaching in Canada now. And now he's the coach of the Summer Canadian League team, uh the Sea Bears or I think it's the Sea Bears. It's one of the greatest I names. I I believe so. I believe so. Yeah, a great name for a sports mascot, the Sea Bears. You know, so. you you, you got to appreciate um some of these some, some of these names minor league baseball is known for having some great oh, names one of my favorites is uh obviously here in jacksonville is the jacksonville jumbo shrimp but there's a team in vermont known as the vermont lake monsters and they have the greatest <laughs> hat of all time it's just like oh, it's I just bet. it's just eyes above water and then you see like a tail it's great oh so it's they're great. really buying into like the lake nest no, or the lake Ness monster it's, it's excellent it's excellent but That's um fantastic. It's I don't think people realize exactly how small of a world sports is sometimes yeah. because it's it's so interesting to me that you mention, you know, that that Coach Driscoll and Coach Taylor happened to both be Pittsburgh guys and he happened to have a house in Nocatee. And so that's where you can play next, yeah. because I was just talking to another former UNF athlete. Uh, mm -hmm. Joe Will Bruda, who is now the yeah. amateur uh, uh, a video like scouting guy for the Yankees. And he was talking about 
he started his collegiate career off at at Midland Community College, which which yeah. community college baseball is kind of a big deal. And Midland's one of the best in the country. And so when it came time for him to go to go to a four-year college, his coach at Midland used to coach in the SEC where where UNF's head, uh, head baseball coach at the time also coached in the SEC at the same time. So he said, I know this guy, Smoke Laval, who's coaching yeah. Jacksonville. That's where you're going to play next. And Joe was like, okay. Yeah, sounds good. I'll, I'll trust you. You know, because Joe was from Joe was from Ohio, mm-hmm. and then and then he he went to Midland in Texas, so he didn't know anything about Jacksonville, Florida. And I had his, no idea. And then his his coach knew Smoke Laval and said, "You're going to UNF." And Joe was like, "All right." Sounds good, coach. And it's so, a small world, man. Jeez. I don't think people realize that sometimes because it's so big and it's so glamorous from the outside. You're looking at it on yes. TV, you you look at it in the headlines, and you're like, oh man, like I can't even, I don't even know how to start. And then I'll, and then you hear these stories from you and from Joe about how you got started. Yeah. And it's, and and it's, it's all from one person knowing the next, from somewhere that's not where you finished up at. And Coach Driscoll was a was a fellow assistant with scott drew who is i know who is now a national championship winning coach and he coached under scott drew and and which helped him get his first head coaching job with you and and so it's crazy to me that that these stories prove to you just how small of a world sports can be sometimes yeah it's it's funny you mentioned that because my wife even um now that she's been overseas two seasons now with me she even sees it she'll be like it's, I mean, she'll meet a friend uh, in whatever country you're in or on social media. And they'll be like, Hey, do you know this person? Do you know that person? She'll go, Oh yeah. I've been hanging out with them here in this city. And it's like the wives sports world is even smaller. They know everyone too. So right. it's wild. Just the connections you can make all over the world. So before we leave Hamburg, you did actually win a championship with, uh, with yeah. coach Taylor sure in, did. in Hamburg in 2019. Tell us about that. Yes, we did. I was great. It was, you know, that was one of the selling points as well before signing there was that, you know, the second division to me felt like, why would I play in the second division? I'm a better player than that. But the team had goals to win the league that first year. And Coach Taylor, obviously, you know, I trusted his word on that. And, um, you know, we were building for that all season to get to the playoffs and be one of the top two teams to get promoted to the top German league. And, um, you know, it was, it was a wild ride. I'll tell you that. I mean, there were some points in the season, like, man, there's no way we're going to get this done. And then there's other points in the season, like there's no chance we'll lose to anyone. And it was kind of one of those things where, because every team is fighting for that promotion, you know, no one wants to stay in the second division. Um, so it was real competitive league. And the best part about it is, in the championship series, the final series, mm-hmm. Aaron Bodiger flew out and visited me in Germany. Uh, played with us. I was going to say, I know that name. Yeah. Yep. Played with us at UNF on the championship teams. And he had just, he was one year behind me because he uh, redshirted, but <clears throat> he came out and visited me. And then three days later, my parents came out and visited me. So I had Aaron, my mom, and my dad all at the championship series, the final series to get promoted. 
and Aaron's in the locker room with me pregame at halftime, sitting on the bench during the game, and he's rushing the court after the game with us as if he was on the team with us. And my mom and dad are up in the VIP section just drinking German beers, just celebrating, having a grand old time, like nothing happened. Like, oh, this is great. It was incredible. It was an incredible 10 days with those people there to celebrate something like that. I mean, so man, you, it was fun. So, 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 so you've been blessed up to this point. I mean, you could say like your, your first international coach is an American coach that your college coach yeah. happened to know. And then you win a championship and your parents are there. And one of your good friends from, from, from college is yeah. there. I mean, it's, oh, it's, it's nuts. It's, it's crazy. storybook. Roman. It's really storybook my first year in Europe. It was storybook. No, exactly. So we've touched just a couple more questions. We've touched on some of the highlights of your career already from the, from the NCAA tournament to, and I see you're wearing the North Florida, you're, you're right, North Florida right. today. Yeah, exactly. Um, you, you've been to the NCAA tournament. You've played against some, some NBA guys before, and you've won a championship in Germany. Um, what's your favorite memory overall as a player? If you had to you know, one thing. Yeah, the the I mean it's it's not the biggest accomplishment in my career um from a from an outside perspective, but you know, playing for my dad and for him and I to win that district championship um together, I mean, yeah, it's not like a state championship or an international championship or an NCAA tournament bid, but to do that with my dad oh, and like him being my coach, but also my dad is just, that's like my proudest moment as a basketball player. And that's a moment I'll never forget because just everything that went into that game, that season, those four years together with my dad as my coach, just, you know, it just felt like we did something and that was what we did. And it's always been like a we thing with me and my dad, like we are going to get to the, and like, we're going to get to a division one school. We're going to get to the NCAA tournament. We're going to get to the NBA. Like we, we, it's always, you know what I mean? It's not me. It's like me and my dad. So for him and I to have that actual trophy together, it's like, yeah, I'll never forget that. And that's my biggest accomplishment because it was something that we were able to share and do together. Oh, that's, that's absolutely excellent. I I love that answer. So <laughs> You've had a nice long career at this point and it's not over. So you, you starting from eight years old, when you see your dad, win a when a state championship and you know, I'm going to play for my dad, sparking a fire for basketball in you that's lasted you're 29 now yeah. to, to a professional team. I, I don't even think we've mentioned at this point, the name of your current team, which is, which is known popularly as FMP or FMP Meridian. Um, yeah. So I, I wanted to give a shout out to your current team uh, Appreciate while, it. I like it. <laughs> while, while we're doing this. Um, but, you know, you don't know what's coming next for you and whether it's yeah. whether it's continuing to play for FMP, continuing to play in Serbia or, or playing in another country or maybe maybe one of these days you'll make the NBA. Who knows? But yeah. but one day your your playing career will be over. Mm -hmm. What what are your goals for? For after for when that happens, would you would you consider coaching like your dad? Would you would you want to go into broadcasting? What yeah. would, would you want to leave the game behind? What is what are your goals once you're playing days? 
are over hopefully for not for a long time yeah first off let's hope you know i got a few more years let's say at least five more years in the tank but um it's a good question you know i would say i fluctuate not that i think about it daily but whenever i do think about it i think i change my mind every time about what it is i plan on trying to do or um like what avenue i want to explore I can almost for certain tell you that it won't be broadcasting. I'll leave that to you, bud. I don't think I have the... Uh, from from your lips to God's ears. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I have it. I don't think I have that in me. So I'll leave that to you and the and the professionals. But, um, you know, my wife is a elementary school teacher. And she can teach at a variety of different levels as well. Um, obviously my dad worked in this is still working in the uh, school system has been since the eighties, uh, the public school system. So, you know, I think there's days where I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely going to do something like that. A little more relaxed, kind of a typical, you know, nine to five job, but as a teacher, you know, get summers off. I'm used to summers off with basketball, you know, so that sounds nice in a job having summers off every year. So, man, but then again, you know, who knows? I love basketball so much. I don't think I can just leave it behind. Yeah. Knowing um, you and knowing knowing other former athletes, I don't know if you could just go and just like teach a subject at a school and not become the basketball coach. Yeah, like, I, that's the thing. I, You know, and I'm, I'm pretty competitive and I get fiery. So I think if I went into basketball, I would be full in. It wouldn't be a half-ass job. Sorry for the language. Oh, you're fine. But, but um, I think, yeah, I think that's, if, that's kind of where I don't know. I don't I think coaching is in my future. I don't think I've figured out what level is one thing. one thing I'm holding in my back pocket, which which I just thought about this and it would crack me up as you were talking about the relationship between Driscoll and Mike Taylor. If you got into coaching one day, it would just be too funny and would come pr- talk about being a movie come in full circle if you ended up being yeah. a coach in pittsburgh no you're I'm, I'm 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 just throwing that out there it's like, funny you say that and now that you say it based on all the other coincidences that have led us to this point that would probably be the least coincidence one of them all you know what i mean me just coaching in pittsburgh so yeah yeah i wouldn't um i wouldn't put anything past it i know for a fact I would call coach Driscoll and coach Taylor and ask for any and all advice on how to get into coaching. And it's also funny you say about like where I'd be coaching. Um, you might know him or remember him, Zach Friesman. He's yes. uh, our age graduate yes. UNF at 16 basketball manager, assistant coach at Western Carolina university. Now I did see that and, he's doing great. Yeah. And I, you know, since college, you know, Fries and I were close and joke around with him and say, when you're a head coach, call me, I'll be your assistant. Well, he's kind of on the fast track to become a head coach now. So I don't know if I'm going to have to take up that bet or that offer uh, sooner rather than later. But, you know, Zach, he's a determined guy and he would probably, he might take me up on the offer. I don't know how seriously he took it. So I might need to kick into the coaching realm maybe faster than I expected and maybe in a city I didn't expect either. But it's, you know, the one thing about, post-career basketball for me is that like my wife stopped her teaching job in uh in america to come over to europe with me right so like i'm forever grateful for that because 
like i mean I, I think she enjoys being in europe it's a fun lifestyle you know kind of seeing the world and traveling and playing games and you know it's, it's fun but right. you know she put her career on hold too so i kind of owe her the decency of like hey you can letting her be stable out for a time yeah probably yeah you know I mean, moving country to country city to city i mean the language barriers there's a lot of little things that kind of just maybe are annoying and things that make you miss america more and just the routine and the normalcy and seeing family and the ease of everything so yeah i definitely owe it to her to kind of she can pick the destination and then i'll pick my occupation there you go. I, I was going to say, I imagine as fun as it can be, it can be a little bit isolationist because, you know, your, your your family and your friends that you've known yeah. for the longest, obviously, you've probably made friends wherever you've gone in your in your basketball career. But, you know, the family and friends that you know so well are 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 back in America. You know, exactly. And it's it, it's tough at times, too, because, you know, you miss certain events, you miss sometimes weddings you miss birthdays obviously you miss holidays but the like the best thing is that emma and i we have each other so we make the most of it and we've made good friends in every country we've been in so we feel at home eventually but it's kind of that uh the eventually part you know what i mean you day one you don't have these friends when you move to these countries right. and since. do you guys make it back home in the off season for you oh yeah we oh, sure yeah. do yeah yeah we're not Excellent. we don't do europe year-round we come home to america as soon as possible and spend as much time with family and friends because there's just really for me specifically there's just no time for me to travel back and for emma you know bless her heart she feels bad when she leaves me at home by herself and she goes like back to see family or whatever so um, she doesn't do that often, if ever. So we're we're stuck together for ten months out of the year in Europe. So it's like we kind of we stuck it out together. Well, that's all I officially have for you, Bo. Thanks so much for awesome. for for joining the pod and uh, Bo Beach of FMP Meridian in Belgrade, Serbia, joining the pod today. Thanks, Bo. Hey, man, appreciate it, Roman. Keep up the good work and uh, give the pod a follow. Yeah, definitely. Empire Sports Pod on Twitter. Empire Sports Talk on Instagram and Facebook and wherever else you uh, you follow TikTok as well. But thanks for hanging out with us, Bo. I appreciate it. Always, man. No problem. And that was my interview with Bo Beach. I had a great time sitting down with him. I want to thank him again for joining us here on the Empire Sports Talk podcast. I want to thank FMP Meridian in Belgrade, Serbia for, for letting us borrow Bo for that interview. And as you can see, the sports world... It's pretty small, and I wish Bo all the best. I hope great success finds him in the, in the rest of his basketball career. Maybe we see him in the NBA again, who knows, and we'll see what he chooses as his path after he's done playing, but hopefully that's not for a very, very long time. That's all the time I have. This has been Empire Sports Talk. I am your host, Roman Gennaro. See you next time.